Bruceandbrewster.org, episode 569. Our popular series continues. Today, we're going to be talking about Bro Science Part 4 Exposed. So, a lot of you have been asking for more Bro Science, and um, we're going to. You know, we're going to we're going to boogie on this one, mobster. So we've got a few here that we're going to talk about. So we're going to start this off with uh, look, we're going to start this off with the first one. Bro signs injecting testosterone HGH is the same as testosterone HGH my body produces. So this one, this one drives me crazy. A lot of people are under the impression that and I've seen this happen before. And a big blame of this one is anti-aging clinics like they'll go to the anti-aging clinic because they need help. Uh, they want to do some anti-aging or whatever. And really, the anti-aging clinic is not going to help you get on a proper diet. It's not going to help you exercise. It's not going to help you. not going to tell you to quit smoking. not going to tell you to quit drinking. All these things to help with aging. But what they are going to do is they're going to want to put you on as much things as possible so they can make a buck. You got to remember, these anti-aging clinics, they're run by businessmen. They're not run by actual doctors. So businessmen, their objective is money. They want to make as much money as they can. It can be a really lucrative business. You you and if you get people hooked month to month, you are in business. You got to pay your employees, you got to pay the rent for the facility, right? You got to pay for all that inventory of stuff in your in your place. So, it's very important that they do that. So they're trying to make sales. So what they'll do, you go in there and you get blood work done, Let's say you're 700 nanograms per deciliter testosterone levels. They're going to want to put you on exogenous testosterone that puts you at 900 or 1,000 or 1,200. Now, let's say, you know, all things being equal, you end up taking, you know, you take, you take testosterone and it gets your levels back up to 800 or 900 when it was naturally at 700. That's not better then your own body's natural testosterone being produced. It's exogenous testosterone. It's not the same thing. But a lot of guys don't get that. It's the same logic behind you got to run testosterone in a cycle or else you'll die or something. You know, crazy theories on why you got to run tests every cycle. You don't. You don't have to. Testosterone that you inject is not the same testosterone that's in your body. It's synthetically produced to be the same chemical structure which your body views as that testosterone so your testosterone levels when you get blood work done will will change based on that but it's not the same same thing with hgh you're naturally your body if you can get your body to naturally produce hgh versus having to inject exogenous hgh that's much more beneficial that way. And we know that from studies. It could be like three, four hundred percent more beneficial to produce your own HGH than it would be to inject exhaustless HOH and HGH and spend all that money on kits. You know? So at the end of the day, you need to focus on your own body being prime um, in a prime state where you're eating properly, you're sleeping properly, you're avoiding alcohol and, and smoking and all this other crap that does nothing but make our body sick and poisons our body. And you want to put your, you want to treat your body like you would a sports car. You want to put the best fuel in there at all times. And you want to be producing the most testosterone naturally as you can, the most HGH as possible as you can. All right. So you live a long and, and prosperous life. You don't want to shut that off 
and and just and just fucking do whatever you want, right? And and you have your HGH levels crash, your testosterone levels crash, and have the testosterone of an eighty-year-old man when you're thirty years old because you didn't take care of yourself in your twenties. You want to be able to produce it on your own, okay? So when you say, you know what, I give up, I'm just going to go on TRT the rest of my life. Don't think that that's better than it would be if you just focus on on bringing up your testosterone levels and doing it that way. Now, at the end of the day, if it's not possible, it's not possible. You know, you could have blown out your HBTA for whatever reason, and you got to go on TRT the rest of your life. That's fine. I'm not against TRT. In fact, if you really, really need it, then I'm all for it. But my point is, don't say, don't think, yeah, my testosterone levels are naturally at 700. So let me go on TRT and get my levels up to eight, 900. That right, that right there is a bad idea. And that, that is bro science. It is not better for you to use that exogenous testosterone versus getting that good amount of natural testosterone. Mobster, what do you think about that bro science? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing that I've pointed out multiple times on the forums, guys, uh, most steroids, and I'm specifically thinking of anabolic steroids, but also some cortical steroids, were specifically created to treat a medical condition. So, therefore, they were adapted, they were modified, carbon atoms were moved around so as to create a specific response in the body, and it wasn't building muscle. Few were. Uh, were you got examples of Steve of recovery from operations, which is great. And some are for retaining muscle because of their medical condition. Again, because you're stuck in bed recovering from an operation. Those are probably the closest that's going to be to what your body produces. But then again, it's the argument you could argue against because the testosterone that your body produces is doing some of the things that those medically recreated steroids for. For example, there are steroids that increase red blood cell counts. There are steroids that really... Uh, enhance your immune system and so on and so forth i'm generalizing here you can look up specific reasons why these were created but again that would be like even even the most commonly given to you in a trt clinic store which would probably be testosterone cypionate would have been created for another reason even the early versions of steroids for example steve that people might have had access to way back in the 30s and 40s which we've touched on in another podcast were so short-acting as to be inherently useless. So you've got to remember, I mean, we, we can talk about ANAVAR, the, 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 the amount that's given for medical reasons versus PD use, and so on and so forth. So you could go through all of that kind of stuff and say, you know what, ultimately, how can most steroids that we use as performance-enhancing drugs now be the same as the testosterone in your body? They cannot because they were never created for that reason. They wasn't created for you to get a bigger bicep or a better chest or a broader back. They just wasn't. So that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And not even that, Steve. You've got a great example again. Your, your testosterone levels will vary. But if you're on steroids, testosterone from outside, they won't vary. It will be a constant. You're literally creating a constant. And, of course, the constant is that much higher in terms of concentration. So it makes no sense. You, the, the, the amount varies through life. It amount varies as you age. It can vary through the month. It can vary when you're stressed. It can vary when, obviously, we hit the gym and then make stuff happen that our body wants to respond to. So, again, the constant that we put from the outside, yes, I mean, there's no good denying it's even our the situation. We want to be bigger. We want to be more muscular. But the argument is null and void, Steve. It makes no sense whatsoever. What's your next one? 
All right. Let's do um, stretching and warming up is for pussies. And, um, you know, this one, we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast, but it's very, very important to realize at any level of athletics, I don't care if you're a professional athlete, college, high school, middle school, kids, whatever, before they do practice, before they do scrimmaging, before they do the actual game, they will spend time, they will get there early, hours ahead of time, and they will start their warm-ups, their stretching, their mobility work, all that stuff, they do it. They spend so much time. They spend more time doing that than they do on the actual game. But like with weight training, for some reason, people just show up for weight training. They do one or two sets at the most for warming up. And then they fucking, they're in. They're in. They throw on two plates and they're ready to roll. And then when they finish, they walk out of the gym. No stretching, no nothing. So it's very, very important to stretch and warm up because that's going to make your, that's going to, well, stretching is very, very important because it's going to help actually your muscles grow. First of all, it's going to help stretch that fascia tissue so that it helps your muscles actually get bigger. But even besides that, it's going to help prevent injuries. It's going to help lubricate the joints. Well, being mobile is not being a pussy. Being mobile is being smart. That's being uh, you know, staying healthy long-term so that you can improve and you can continue to you know, get better and not get injured all the time. So you need to think about it, you know, and look, there's, there's a simple strategy when it comes to weight training. You should spend a solid 10, 15 minutes warming up. Okay. Now, if it's a packed gym and you're like, Steve, I can't, uh, I want to go do bench press. If I spend 10, 15 minutes warming up on the bench press, you got people waiting and people get pissed off. Well, don't, Warm up at the bench press then if you're going to do a bench press. Warm up somewhere else. Do some push-ups. Get some dumbbells. Do some presses with the dumbbells. But really, really light. Do warming up that way. All right? And then when you're ready to start hitting the weights, then you can get on the bench press. Do one or two sets of warm-up and then do your workout. You see? So you got to get creative. I'm not saying go and hog up the bench for 10, 15 minutes just doing Warm up. I mean, I understand that's not plausible, especially during rush hour at a gym. You know, people are going to get pissed off. Um, so it's very, very important to do that. And then after you're done, it's just as important, if not more important, to do stretching. Because when you stretch, you're able to prevent injuries in the future. The most flexible people get less injuries. That's just a fact. I don't care if you're a football player, a hockey player, a weightlifter, a bodybuilder. I don't care. The more mobile you are and the more flexible you are, the less chance of injuries that you're going to get, all right? So it's really easy to injure yourself when you don't have mobility, and you're going to have way less joint issues. Your joints are going to get all dried up if you're not stretching and working on mobility work. You're going to tear shoulders. You're going to tear muscles. You're going to tear, tear soft tissues. You're going to stretch them. You're going to you're going to end up with tendonitis, inflammation, um, in, in joints, inflammation, and long soft tissues. These are injuries that all of you listening who've been weightlifting a long time know exactly what I'm talking about. And they all can be prevented by improving your mobility and flexibility. Yoga, very, very important. I can remember over the years posting on forums about yoga and people are like, I don't have time for that shit. That's pussy stuff. Yoga is pussy stuff. Guys, listen, yoga is very, very important because yoga is a great way to have a teacher and have 
peers around you pushing you to to get better. So what you can do when it comes to yoga is you can learn going to the classes and then you can use those tools at home. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you can do 10, 15 minutes of yoga. Before you go to bed, you get 10, 15 minutes of yoga. It's very, very good. Yoga isn't what you think. A lot of you are saying, you know, I'm not going to do yoga. That's off the table. Look, yoga is not what you think. Yoga is extremely challenging. All right. If you do the not old people yoga, but if you do actual like the actual professional style yoga, oh, my God, it's hundred times harder than weightlifting. Okay. An hour of that is a hundred times harder than an hour of weightlifting any day. So a lot of people will not be able to survive it. The type of yoga that I do, um, which is a Bikram style of yoga, it's absolutely crazy. You're in a room with 160 degree heat index, 115 degree room and 55% humidity. Some teachers keep it that high. Um, generally, it's going to be around 105 degrees and maybe 40 to 50% humidity. But some teachers keep it even hotter. And it's absolutely brutal. The heat is going to help you stretch more. It's going to help warm up your muscles in the process. So if you're if you want to try something different and you've got a lot of nagging injuries and you're trying to get better, then pause your weightlifting journey and go do Bikram yoga for one month. Just sign up for a one month, one month, right? And try to do as many as you can. And you will be like, holy shit, this, this is amazing. You will notice yourself balancing all your muscles and you're noticing your, your improvements when it comes to flexibility and mobility really pretty quickly after just like two, three classes. So try that. Trust me on that. And, um, you know, stop being ignorant when it comes to this stuff where uh, stretching is considered, you know, being for wusses, you know, because it's not. Uh, babies and animals, they all stretch. As soon as they wake up, the first thing they do is stretch instinctively. And we as adults, for some reason, we don't stretch. I, I don't understand it at all. And look, I've been guilty of it too. Nobody wants to take the time to stretch. But it's very, very important to keep yourself healthy. And the more you weight train without stretching, the worse it, things are going to get. And the more you're going to put yourself at risk for injuries. Mobster, touch on that a bit and then uh, get into the next bro science. Absolutely, Steve. I, I've, one of the things I've kind of uh, referred to in the past, I think on the forums and on his podcast, is that I occasionally get what I call like a little amber warning light on my body. For example, the tiniest little back spasm to remind me to stretch or to click my back. Because obviously I'm trying to do crazy stuff in the gym. I'm still trying to do crazy weights on squats and other leg type movements or squatting type movements, Steve. And I'm putting an enormous amount of pressure onto my shoulders, pressing down onto my spine. And hell, though, as I'm doing this podcast today, guys, I'm 59, right? So... So I'm pushing on my disc, I'm pushing on that soft tissue, and anything that's holding me together when I do that stuff is my innate strength built up over many years and all those pounds of muscle and a little bit of blubber that's in there that's giving me the support. But I get this little amber light, not a red warning light, but a little amber light saying, flashing on and off saying, stretch your day, motherfucker, pop your back, limber up a little bit more than you, you do normally, which is, as Steve says, as often as the same as the next guy, not half as much as I should be doing. And I get a little reminder that I should do some today just to keep me ticking over. Touch wood, Steve, I haven't any proper back injuries for a long time. The same applies to other things. So here's an example. And this was just off bro sites again. And this literally came up in the last couple of days, Steve, over on Evo. And it was on the Aussie forum. 
And I literally Googled the question that the person had asked to see where they'd got this idea from. So I, I'll tell you what it is first. Using Anavar means you don't need to do a PCT, post-cycle therapy. So I was like, excuse me. So like I said, I went off, I Googled to see where they'd got the idea. And it was right at the top, probably like the second or third one down, Steve. So I went back and responded thus. Right, number one, let's imagine, and I'm not sure this is what they were thinking, but let's imagine, number one, perhaps they were just trying to save a buck. So I'm going to use VAR and a VAR, and I'm not going to do a PCT because, and I quote, you don't need to because it's the least oppressive. Ergo, I'm going to save myself a couple of hundred bucks. That might have been the thinking. Secondly, and I pointed this out in my reply, the idea behind that is probably based on the the amounts that we used to use way back in the day. Oldies, way older than me, Steve, will say, oh, we used to use just a few milligrams of this or a few milligrams of that, not the hundreds of milligrams that you guys are using these days. So you go, okay. So if they were doing two or three milligrams on for men back in the day, then perhaps some, not all, some didn't need to do PCT. But when you're using 50 milligrams a day, so 10 times what they were doing 30, 40 years ago, Steve, you definitely need to do a PCT. And there's this great argument, and I'll touch on this as well. We talk about this sometimes with Psalms when we say they are minimally suppressive. What does that mean? So Steve talks about blood tests. You go off and get blood tests, but none of us are doing this for every single steroid. We should. We're not testing each steroid or psalm individually. And again, we should just to be able to get this kind of information back. There's not enough data out there to argue against. So the reality of the situation is, and I, I don't think this is pro science. I think the logic probably works better. If you're using 10 times the amount that an old fella did 30 or 40 years ago, then you're 10 times more likely to need a PCT. And even if a drug is minimally suppressive, that still means it's having an effect on your body. And a PCT isn't just about recovering when you've got producing no testosterone, even if your body is producing a smaller amount of testosterone than normal because you've run a cycle of, for example, VAR, you still need to do a PCT. So the idea behind not needing to do it because it's minimally suppressive really makes no sense, Steve. What do you think on that before I give you another one? So it doesn't matter if it's a small amount or a large amount. Anytime you put in exogenous hormones in your body, it's going to require a post-cycle therapy, you know, but it, it matters how long you run it. Um, and we know that from, you know, the blood work I've seen over the years. So if you run a little four-week cycle of Anavar, you know, you can get away with like a mini PCT, just running a testosterone booster, maybe even a small amount of Clomid or Novodex. That's fine. But if you run 12 weeks of Anavar or any other mild steroid that you think is less suppressive or whatever, it's just not true. So the thing is, when you're running like testosterone or or equipoise or DECA or any of those, they have such long half-lives that even if you run them for four weeks, they're still going to be in your system many, many weeks after that. So that's where that's where people get into trouble. So my advice is don't necessarily pay attention to, you know, uh, to, to like, oh, it's, you know, this, this steroid is mild. It's, it's not going to shut me down. Any exogenous hormone is going to shut you down. I mean, it, it's just the way it is. So um, I don't care if it's Anavar or if it's Trend or if it's Halo or if it's Super, it doesn't matter. They all 
have an effect on your HBTA. So you need a PCT in place to give you a soft landing. That's the whole purpose. So look, at the end of the day, blood work doesn't lie, but people do. So if you think that NFR isn't suppressive, we, you know, or anything like that, they run blood work. I would love to see the blood work showing that, that, you know, steroids aren't suppressive. If, if that's what you believe now, Proviron is the only one that I've seen with some people because Proviron is more of a drug than a hormone, but that's one of the only ones that I've seen people run it by itself. Like they'll run it between cycles or something and it won't cause suppression. That's the only one. But other than that, you're going to have suppression. There's just nothing else you can do about it. Let me give you another example. And this is just one of those things that I, I, I get why people think like this, Steve. So we, we do pre-show research, and in pre-show research, one that came up that made me laugh out loud was that someone was thinking they might die because when they'd injected the steroid into their body, they had managed to, and we're guessing after this is part of the reply as well, they'd nicked a vein, they'd nicked a capillary, a capillary when they were going in, and, and they'd seen blood in a syringe, and they were wondering if they'd injected steroids into a vein, into an artery, and if it was going to cause them to die. So <laughs> logic dictates, guys, because you're typing the question after you've done the injection that saw blood. And even if you'd injected it into an artery, you wouldn't be typing the question. You'd have died within a few minutes if it was going to happen. So that's number one, right? So straight away, logic throws that particular one out. Number two is this idea if you've nicked a vein and you're seeing blood in there, here's what happens, guys. And I, and I get reason why logic and perhaps fear uh, becomes, the, the logic gut disappears and fear becomes prevalent and it's right at the front there. So here's what happens. An enormous amount. And I don't think I was that much different with myself with my first jab, Steve. And I'm not someone that likes to pin on a regular basis. Makes me have to think about it and do it and so on and so forth. It's just not something that I'm over keen on. Some are, I'm not. So here's the thing you're rejecting into the body and people get kind of nervous. People get nervous when they go for inoculations. People get nervous when they go for the flu jab. People get nervous when they give blood. It's literally kind of one of those medical situations and you're not feeling great sometimes. And sometimes just the whole fear of the needle freaks you out. But here you are because you've decided to enhance your body by using steroids, by using performance enhancing drugs, you're doing it to yourself. It's actually easier sometimes that someone else does it, a partner, a girlfriend, your gym buddy, whatever, than you doing it. And so there's a sort of like feedback loop in there that kind of freaks you out. And you're already freaking out when you're giving yourself the injection, just injecting two mils of steroids into a thigh, into a shoulder, whatever, into your, into your glute. Now you've done it and, oh, it's, there's blood's coming out. Oh, there shouldn't be that much blood there. You probably nick the vein. Your body, the blood will clot. You'll be fine. But they freak out. And again, here they are, Steve. They're typing away on the forum. Oh, there's blood coming out. Or there's blood in the syringe. Uh, well, I'm, am I going to die again? No, you're not. You, you would you would have probably collapsed already before you'd reached for the keyboard, before you started tapping away on your phone in order to ask on the forum that you, you're in some sort of issue. And here's the thing, guys. Uh, you know, we, we have a certain level of experience and I will even use the word expertise up to a point. But if you're absolutely that ill, 
go to the fucking hospital, guys. Go go book an appointment with your doctor. If you think something serious is going to happen, don't just ask a bunch of the buddies on the forum. Go sort shit out. So, Steve, what do you think about people thinking they're going to die because they've seen a bit of blood in the syringe? Yeah, so with when it comes to injecting, there's a lot of bro science when it comes to injecting. It's not just the blood in the syringe. I've heard a lot of things, oh, you can't do sub-Q. That, that's bro science. You can do sub-Q. You just have to do it correctly. Uh, we had a thread where a guy did sub-Q into his stomach. You don't want to do – you don't want to inject sub-Q oil into your stomach. But can you inject sub-Q into your shoulder or into your other muscles, you know, small muscles, your pecs, or in your biceps or triceps or whatever? Of course you can. People do that, you know, of course. Even TRT doctors do that. So it, it's fine. It, it can be done. It's it, it's oil, oil. Now you run the risk of being too shallow and not getting deep into the muscle and creating possibly an abscess. And again, bro, uh, when it comes to bro science, an abscess is also bro science because most abscesses are going to be sterile abscesses. It's going to be a lump of oil. It's going to sit there. It's going to take a few days to disperse. It may even take longer than that to disperse. And then you're good, you know? So uh, also when you inject, just because your skin might turn red or you might have, it might be hot to the touch. It doesn't mean you have an infection. It's just your body reacting. It's just like if you get stung by a mosquito or a, a, a wasp or a bee or something, your skin might have an allergic reaction doesn't mean you're dying doesn't mean you have to run to the emergency room to get uh, antibiotics because believe me if you do that if you're a hypochondriac and you run to the emergency room every time you get a little bit of a, a, a you know issue like that the, the when you get there the doctors are just going to be like they're just going to give you antibiotics to shut you up and get you out of there you know that you know what i'm saying so they're like yeah fuck it let's just give this person antibiotics so they can leave us alone but when it comes to you know all these little things, when it comes to injecting, um, at the end of the day, if your gear is you're sensitive to your gear, then you simply need to just switch <laughs> switch the brand you're using. That can make all the difference. I might be allergic to something. Mobster might not be, and vice versa. So you got to find out which brands work for you, which brands are smooth. Blood in the syringe. Look, it's going to happen sometimes. It's not the end of the world. Um, I, I love the aspirating thing. Like people like they say, oh, you have to aspirate, always aspirate or else something. That, I'm like, what difference does it make if you aspirate? It's almost like aspirating is actually does more harm than good because now you're leaving that needle in there longer and you're moving it around and it can do more things in there. You're putting a fucking steel thing into your into your body and you're leaving it in there and you're moving it around. So aspirating is another bro signs. You don't need to aspirate. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't make a difference if you aspirate or not because you could still hit a hit a blood vessel and aspirate and not have any blood in the syringe. It doesn't matter or vice versa, you, you know. So it it doesn't it, at the end of the day it doesn't make a difference. It's just a waste of time and it's you're just just do the injection slowly. Do the injection, put the oil in there. And then release, take the take the needle out, and you're you're good to go. So injecting is a skill. It's going to take time to learn. Um, you're when you first do it, you're going to be nervous. You're going to move the needle around. There's going to be a lot of things that happen. But over time, it's going to get easier. So everyone's first injection is usually going to hurt like hell for that reason, because you basically put a steel rod into your into your muscle and you moved it around a lot, and you're going to have a sore muscle from that. All right. But 
you've got to learn from trial and error what works and what doesn't. If you're not going to learn from trial and error, then you're never going to get that down. So it's very important to, <clears throat> to improve yourself and then go from there um, and, and do it. But yeah, I mean, I think people, they, they make injecting way too complicated, which in itself is bro science. You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, the one where they aspirate and they have some blood in the syringe and then they pull it out and they switch their needle and all this stuff. Guys, it's your blood. I mean, if you inject the oil and the and, and a little bit of blood back into your body, it's not going to hurt you. It's your blood here. You're not using someone else's blood where you're going to pick up some 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 disease or something here. So, all right, mobster. Yeah, chime in on that one. I think it was a uh, I think we hit some fun ones today. Yeah, but there's. There's so many ones with regards to injection sleep. You get guys talking about having lots of scar tissue. You go, okay, so are you rotating sites? You don't just have to inject in the one that we always used to inject to back in the day, which is uh, the, the ventroglute, the, the upper outside of your bum muscle, your glute muscle, your buttocks. And that can be left-hand side or right-hand side. Uh, I know one of our forum moderators and members is not a big fan at all if injected into the outside of the glute, that's one of my favorite ones, Steve, because I've got so much area to work with. And yet he says it's not a bit because of personal experience, because he didn't like when he'd done it. It was made him feel uncomfortable and probably without even realizing psychologically, he was probably injecting a more or less the same area. The, the, one more on the, on the injection, Steve, before we finish off. I'm reminded of a question that the great Tom Platts, who's still with us, was asked about injecting. And they were talking about injecting into a muscle. So to, to play with the person asking the question, I think this was at a seminar, he talks about the teddy bear pattern. And they said, excuse me, he said, literally, and of course, the rest of the audience absolutely wet themselves, Steve. He says, oh, if I'm injected into this muscle or that muscle, and make sure not to inject it at the, at the same spot by picking out a place to create the shape or the outline of a teddy bear on my fire, on my shoulder, on my pec, whatever. And people were absolutely laughing their heads off because they realised he was joshing. That's the kind of logic that you sometimes have. And that's the person's asking that question as though the way that the muscle was injected was a, a super, super important thing. Whether it was on the ass, whether it was the shoulder, the bicep, the fire, the quad, whatever, they, they were over-obsessing about a minor thing, forgetting that nutrition and in Tom Platz's case, the absolute balls to the wall and crazy, crazy hard training was way more important than the specific place that you injected in a particular example. Now, of course, there are good techniques. There are great posts on the, on the forum about it. There are great videos on YouTube by multiple uh, channels telling you specifically about site injections, if that's your thing. And if you do decide, for example, to inject in your biceps, the best place, how to avoid nerves and so on and so forth. Please don't overthink it. Don't freak out. If you're able to post, you're not dead, and so on and so forth, Steve. So there's a bunch out there. We've got a we've got a part five and a part six of this. I'm sure of it, Steve. And again, guys, some of this is your logic getting ahead of yourself. In reality, our bodies are pumped from fine, and we've been having jabs and, and, and injections of one form or another, including steroids given to us by medical professionals for many, many years, and it does, it's not quite as complicated as some like to make out. Please note, we are not doctors, and the opinions are ours. It's our view, and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.